my name is Bruce, Bruce Michael Grossman. I'm a 30-year-old photographer from New York City and uh, currently living in Colorado. So you take inspiration from Diane Arvis. Yeah, I fucking love <laughs> Diane Arvis. Uh, when you're photographing portraits, how do you think that method translates from New York to Colorado? Um, <laughs> in so many words, like, you know, there, there's going to be kind of like out there people. Um, I'm trying to avoid using word crazy. There's going to be out there people no matter where you go. And Eccentric. <laughs> eccentric call them, yeah or uh just kind of like sitting on a bench watching the sun as the face tattoos begin to accumulate uh i found that in new york there was a much more kind of like gritty kind of vibe whereas out here uh when you find that it's more of like the traveler passing through mm -hmm. and okay. the people here are generally speaking a lot more uh, approachable than they are back home. But okay. I, I guess it's kind of weird though, because when I would meet, um, you know, Diane Arvis's whole deal, I guess, was predicated on going out there and photographing just like people that you normally wouldn't see in those types of photographs. Mm -hmm. And like I said, even though you, you find that everywhere, it's almost like here is like the Grateful Dead psychedelic version of that. And New York is still very much like the punk rock saint marks people getting yeah. mugged at night kind of vibe um more of like maybe a darker element to it yeah it would be kind of i mean depending on if you're deciding to go back to new york or stay in colorado or go somewhere else um finding that style and then like having a portfolio of just that umbrella of that style would be really interesting to see how that takes form yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to do that. I think um, now as, as my stuff kind of moves a little bit away from like strict portraits, I, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. don't, I don't look for it as much as I used to. Like I used yeah. to go outside to like the parks in New York City and literally just walk around for hours looking for people that I could talk to that would kind of like lend itself to that style. Um, mm -hmm. But now it's like I'll be out at like the fucking post office of all things. I'll see someone with like... Uh, Oh god, crazy things like bullets down the eyes, like all kinds oh, of stuff. You just you just run into it. I'm like, oh man, I wish I had my camera. I would totally like talk to this person hey. and give them my spiel about tattoos and all that. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I'm assuming big fan of tattoos since oh, almost well, everyone, <laughs> almost everyone that I've seen you photograph at least has some form of tattoo. Um, but any any favorite tattoo that you have? <laughs> Uh, that I have personally, um, mm -hmm. I'm a real big fan of my first one, which was like this little, I don't know if you can even see it. It's like this little old school Valentine's heart right there. Okay. Mm. And uh, I got that when I was 18 and it was done by this um, Korean artist that was working on top of a boutique in Koreatown in New hey. York. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't, he didn't even speak a word of English. He just, you know, but he did say, he did Damn. say I had very good arms for tattoos so did you just like since he didn't speak english did you just like pick out a certain design from his like portfolio or did you have like your own design to show him and just you're like yeah that's it <laughs> even when i was uh even when i was just like young before i even conceptualized like being an artist or any of that type mm -hmm. of shit i i always was like I had like a large knowledge of the stuff i studied art mm -hmm. history in college and i had like a lot of artists that i was really into 
So I was really into like the Sailor Jerry kind of Valentine's heart stuff, like the the type of stuff that you would get done in the 30s and 40s. So I I found one of those online and I kind of went and showed it to him and then he drew it up for me. So it was kind of like, yeah, I I never really let a tattoo artist just like go to town without some (laughs) kind of idea. Yeah. I mean, you never know. It's New York. (laughs) Do Do you have any tattoos? I do not because the one I wanted initially was just quoted at a higher price than I wanted. Um, so because it's a it's a half sleeve, but oh, yeah. um, I am sold on a smaller tattoo that I am trying to get this year for sure. And, and what is that tattoo? Um, it is this one's a little bit more cheesy, I feel like, but it's a circle with waves in it. And it's uh, to represent Mac Miller's uh, swimming in circles concept for his last two albums. Oh, that's dope. I- I've seen a lot of like really cool Mac Miller tributes over oh. the years that so, like, people have done. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, like I do think that although it's a time period in which maybe that inspiration is at its peak, but I think even as I grow older, that since it's more of an interpretive symbol it can have like multiple meanings over the course of a lifetime versus just like a um that goes beyond the tribute but also caters back to him in a way (laughs) right no no no. i feel what you're Um, saying a lot of times they uh they kind of like change meaning or take on new meanings in the years you know so i think it'd be interesting to have a tattoo for that reason since you oh yeah like since you moved so you've gone full force into mixed media and apparel uh like what sparked that interest was it the move um i felt like beforehand it was much more like new york portrait oriented as you said um is that from the sake of having to find something new uh yeah i think a lot of people during this have had to pivot away from what they were doing before and kind of like change things up um for me the I always kind of wanted to get away from photography and move into something that people would, um, excuse me one second, like consider something that people would consider more like uh, just straight art, like straight visual art. I remember a lot of people back in the day, even when I was doing kind of like the more out there portraits, they would tell me like, well, you know, it's like it's people don't buy people's faces. Like I didn't even have a concept of what that meant. Yeah. You know? But I would get a lot of like pushback from people when I would talk about the idea of galleries and stuff. A lot of people told me, you know, it's not going to happen for you unless you do do it this way. And I guess I always kind of had that in the back of my mind uh, and also certain things about photography that I didn't really gel with. So when <clears throat> when all this happened and it was kind of like, OK, here's an excuse to try something else because you don't have people around you. And prior to going out to uh, Colorado again, I was kind of like going in between um, Baltimore and Annapolis. And in those places, I really didn't have people to photograph. Mm -hmm. So it was more like roses, flowers, things on the side. Um, Eventually, I think what ended up happening was the style that I had with my portraits just started kind of bleeding into everything I would photograph. Mm -hmm. And I got more and more into the idea of like, taking a rose or something and turning it into something else and uh i don't think it i think like um with the clothes and stuff it that that just was an incidental thing of like man i got all these designs i've been you know making all these prints i might as well put might as well make a t-shirt see what happens Mm -hmm. um 
but yeah, the, the, the main cause of the stylistic change was definitely like the isolation, having the quarantine and realizing that, you know, I have a lot of photos of people and I can't really do anything with that. So yeah. I had to make something new. Makes sense. Okay. Um, hearing like the feedback from people who are saying like, oh, like you won't get a gallery with that or anything. Um, a stereotype I've heard on, from the west side of the U.S. is that um, it comes across as either, I mean, to some people, I feel like it's just like blunt and like brutally honest kind of way and you take it to mm-hmm. heart or do you think it's more like coming off as like the rudeness style of just people like being arrogant if that makes mm. sense yeah it's it's interesting you say it like that um i think that there's a little bit of both like if you have a pragmatic kind of nine to five that you know gets you good money gets you benefits and you meet someone like me uh, there's going to be a disconnect there in kind of yeah. understanding. And I think that there were some people that were telling me that, hey, you know, this is a difficult way to make a living. It's not that you're not good at it, but like, what can this really be, et cetera. There were people that were coming at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And in that, I felt like there were a lot of people that were coming at it from the side of like, I cannot do what you're doing and I resent that. And that's something that I feel like manifests manifested in a lot of different ways. Like uh, I was like strongly encouraged by like a few friends of mine not to like, like I had always thought about like, let me, let me take a, let me take like two months off from working like, you know, in bars or whatever and yeah. see if I can make money with photography, like really dedicate myself or whatever. And I would have friends telling me, oh, that's stupid. That's stupid. Whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Some people are afraid to try themselves. And I feel like some people just don't understand. So kind of what ended up happening with me was I would kind of listen to a combination of both of that until I started making money. Once I started making money and I would see that like, okay, I could go out and like some model or actor would be whatever. They want to pay me $200 for what takes me 45 minutes. There's something here. So that was kind of like how I, I guess. And and you understand this also, you know, you do photography and and poetry, which is everyone sells poets. They're wasting their time. (laughs) You know, when I was writing writing poetry, that's what people would say. Right. I mean, well, I, I honestly like I can't explain it better than Robin Williams and Dead Poet Society when he gathers like everyone around and he was like, yeah, like you write poetry for like the love of like the romance of life. Whereas like it's not about sustainability. It's about the romance of life. So that's why I always feel like poets will stay alive for that reason. <laughs> that's true. I, I like that movie a lot. I miss Robin uh, Williams a great deal. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I I feel like that um that discouragement is something that when combined with like imposter syndrome can become this kind of like yeah. ticking time bomb, you know. Definitely. So I, mean, I tried to use it as fuel. Yeah, definitely. I think it's great fuel. Well, in terms of like imposter syndrome, because I feel like everyone goes through it at some point. Like as a creative, brought me out. I think honestly, what brought me out of it was just like doing enough things to be like. Yeah, I did all of those things. Like that means something at least. <laughs> like yeah, it, and not even just like professionally. I mean, just like a personalized list of achievements that mean something to you. Like whether to like maybe the nine to five like normalized job life, they would believe that having a degree in something would mean anything. Um, whereas people 
on the more like freelance side is like maybe professional things that you've done or even just like oh you have side projects itself like you have like all these stories to present or a portfolio or whatever what have you but I feel like it counts for something to go against imposter syndrome it does uh... yeah by the way, I do like the mixed media work as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. I just, I thought it was, I was like, wait, I was like, this is Bruce though, right? And then uh, as soon as like, like when you started posting more of it, I was like, oh yeah. I was like, yeah, that's Bruce. <laughs> I remember you saying catering businesses where you'll find most like creatives working in when living in New York. Why is that? Um, so when, when you are trying to be an actor or a dancer or whatever in New York, you're looking for, uh, ideally a job that doesn't require you to be there every day for, okay. for one thing. Yeah. And, um, a lot of, a lot of it kind of, you know, you'll find the guy like, Oh, I do catering here and I bartend here. Oh, I, or there were actors I knew that made their entire living working just three catering jobs across different companies and picking up shifts. There's something about that kind of like nighttime hustle of like, you know, yeah. I work at night, I do my auditions during the day, that kind of thing. I guess those, um, professions allowed people to be, like to, to go on auditions, to do stuff like that, and to not be tied down to something. Mm-hmm. Because like I, I came over from the world of education and when I was working, you know, forty hours a week in a school in a college, for example, there was like no way that I would be, you know, going to auditions, doing this and, and that and the third. So I think yeah. like people yeah, creatives tend to fall into those jobs because of the flexibility. Yeah. That makes sense. Even just being from the West Coast, like you always hear about like there's the hustle and there's the New York hustle also. <laughs> I, I would imagine it's even worse in L.A. because L.A. is just like like inter- New York was like a hub for a lot of entertainment. But yeah. L.A. is still the hub for all the entertainment. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. L.A. <laughs> yeah, I've heard I've heard great things. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> It depends on your lifestyle, I think, in L.A. Uh, that's yeah. who you are in L.A., who you'll become, pretty much. On your website, you have an abstract self-portrait on your landing page. Do you think it's better to have something more representational of your art as as an artist or a more like of a headshot photo? Um, I, I think, like, so much of what I've been trying to accomplish these past few years has been almost stubbornly about going against a lot of the uh norms about professionalism and things that like as someone who was like making his money this way i found those things not to be true that often like when i would post kind of standard headshots it wouldn't get me nearly as much business as posting something like really out there um -hmm. and there's also kind of like there's also kind of like this desire i guess to to take myself away from it um you know because well first of all when it comes to i think i know the image you're talking about the one with the purple and the leather jacket yeah Yeah, so i i don't know what it is about that picture but i had so many people tell me that they were really into that picture and i actually had just some random guy call me like in you know just the other day like in the morning Mm -hmm. and be like hey i saw that picture on instagram my band really needs an album cover can you make us something you know it turned into like a commission thing and i'm like when i 
Yeah, like I always thought about museums and stuff also. And then when you would go in there, like there wouldn't really necessarily be any visual representation of the artist. Mm. Um, like maybe if, if there were something where there were like a lot of self-portraits, but I've gone to exhibits of like, you know, Andy Warhol and people like that and never really saw a single picture of them in there. Um, I kind of I kind of do want to make it more about the designs I make and less about me, even though like I use myself in marketing these things quite extensively. So that's kind of where the idea from that okay. came, uh, from that came from. But also I, I can't take an earnest like biopic to save my life. I always have to do something <laughs> weird or like I'll warp my smile. So it's like yeah. really wide and kind of kind of creepy. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm a piss taker, cool. I guess you could say. Yeah, I'm di- no, I dig it. Well, yeah, no, I'm just, I was really curious about that one because of, like, I currently use, like, a corporate headshot style instead. But it would be interesting to do something a little bit more artistic. Because um, uh, someone that I follow, George Muncy, or if you know who that is, um, like, he took a self-portrait of himself, and he says, like, he likes to take a new self-portrait every year to just kind of update things. And uh, he did, like, a blurred... He did a blurred self-portrait with a, like, foggy glass in between him oh, and the cool. lens. Um, yeah, so it was just a little different. I was like, oh, like, that, that'd be... I feel like that would draw me more, but I don't know if that's coming from, like, the artist perspective, and we need to think about client perspective but i don't know i just i thought it'd be it catches your eye a lot more i would assume yeah i also think that like uh if like right now as far as things go i'm in the business essentially of making things that people want to hang in their homes or like making Mm -hmm. designs for people so i i'd rather them see that you know and be like yeah. this is the this is the potential and then like if you want to see me there's like a bio page where even there the pictures are kind of weird so it's like yeah. you know i'm never really giving anyone a clear view of like who i am and maybe mm-hmm. what maybe that's kind of you know something i can address actually now that i think about Interesting. it oh yeah do you do all when you're doing your apparel are you outsourcing the material or do you doing it ha- by hand uh, I'm not doing it by hand, but I am okay. uh, overseeing the production of everything with oh, okay. the shop that's making it. Oh, that's um, nice. It's the same. It's the same place that does my prints, and they basically have like a vinyl. Well, this is for the shirts, at least. They have a vinyl printer that, like, it's a service they offer and barely anyone uses. And I realized, like, wow, they actually have really high quality shirts, and these designs come yeah. out looking great. So. Um, they literally make them one by one. So okay. it's like, Shit. it's like one, one shirt and the vinyl deal. And then they got to, you know, load the whole thing up to do another. Um, and I thought that was kind of cool too, because yeah. one of the things was, was that like every shirt kind of had a different vibe. Um, with the hoodies, kind of a similar deal, but there's a famous screen printing place, uh, in Arizona called Acme prints. And they work with okay. a lot of major brands like, thrasher and whole foods and like whoever you can think of that would need their their logo on apparel they they do it yeah and they they did the hoodies for me and they're they're kind of like more of like a um like a premium screen printer so i i just tried to make sure that like if if i do have to outsource something and i can't actually be there in the room i want it to be like the best possible quality 
Okay, yeah, no, that's really good to know because I wanted to do like hoodies for the podcast as well. And I was like, yeah. oh, but like, there's only like, like I wasn't sure if it was better just to go to local shops and like you provide the apparel and they, uh, or if they already have the have it in stock and just do it that way, or if it's better to kind of trust a more popular third party like online brand or something like that. Right. Well, uh, most most places that do like hoodies, for example, they have like different brands of hoodies that correlate to like least quality which would be like maybe just your most basic pullover sweatshirt all the way to like you know seams and fucking zippers and like you know they could do like a lot Damn. of really crazy stuff oh, shit. Yeah. okay so i would definitely look into that i think you could get some really cool stuff made and uh the one thing that i will say though is that they do they do try to nickel and dime you and pretend that like, oh, you know, it's really difficult what we do. It's not. Right. They just have the materials, you know. <laughs> Fair enough, honestly. Because uh, I have seen the screen printing process. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm in the you, gray you put, area. <laughs> you, you put me you put me alone in a room with that machine for a day. I can figure that shit out. I I. They, they charge $40 for the, oh, this ink. This is a new ink. We just had oh. to put this in. There's a $40 <laughs> ink. It's like stuff like that. They yeah. they try to get you with a lot of hidden fees. So you got to find okay. a good one, you know? Okay, good to know. Oh, yeah. Why sample from Benny Schilling for the self-portrait chippy to the old French films my father loved? Was it intentional, a collab, or was it just like through means of just appropriation with credit? Because uh, it was like an image you liked? Oh, um, me and Benny have kind of like known each other in like a pen ca- uh, pen pal capacity, like hey. over Instagram, etc. For for a while, like he, um, I think he started following me, or I started following him back when I was just doing portraits, mm-hmm. uh, like a long time ago. And he, um, around that time, started posting these like really cool black and white self portraits. And I think this was when the mixed media thing was kind of in its infancy. And I was saying to myself, you know, it'd be cool if I could like work with people remotely by maybe sampling what they did or repurposing it. Um, And he had this picture of uh, him holding this really old school film camera, almost looked like a like a like a like a really old precursor to a fucking camcorder or something. But, Mm -hmm. you know, with film and I was like, wow. I saw the image like in my head the second I saw that picture. So I hit him up and I said, Hey, do you mind if I use this? And, uh, mm-hmm. he was totally cool about it. Agreed. Um, you know, told him I'll credit you the whole nine yards. And, uh, the funny thing is it's a self portrait of him, but I completely take him out of it. Like his, <laughs> his face, his face is completely removed from okay. it and blacked okay. out. And it's, it's just the camera in his hand and, um, the Orpheus, above and then and the reason for that was because if his face was in it it wouldn't really you know it's not really uh it's kind of still a portrait at that point i wanted it to be Mm -hmm. something else um but you know benny's canadian so you got the french tie in there a little bit and also he uh you know he's been a child actor and and works in the entertainment industry so it was kind of uh it's kind of an interesting way to um how do i put this like kind of an interesting way to tie both of our interests like i really wanted to make this kind of experimental piece about like you know french movies that i used to like watching with my dad and stuff and he's an actor in canada you know so it kind of works out okay interesting like knowing that story i I look at it completely different (laughs) that is it i that's a super eight film camera right 
I think so. I, I don't have, yeah. I'm not the most knowledgeable about like old cameras and stuff, but uh, it had this look to it where I was just like, yeah, I, I know nice. I can make something out of that. Very nice look. I dig it. Uh, how do you come up with the idea of the graduate self-portrait? <laughs> it oh. slightly mirrors a previous self-portrait of the atomic bomb, but has more of a lighthearted feel to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you picked up on that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> really, I'm flattered, I'm flattered that you noticed. No, seriously, I'm flattered that you noticed the connection. Um, the the graduate thing. The reason why it kind of like boggles my mind that so many people are into that was because it came together so quickly. I was just kind of looking at some old photos of myself that I had taken uh, pre-COVID, like before all this happened. Um, and I had this one, ironically, it was actually something that kind of was a LinkedIn looking headshot. It was like me in a leather jacket with that shirt, just kind of chilling <laughs> against the wall. So yeah. I, I was kind of thinking like, um, kind of had this image of not only like my, my kind of head just exploding onto itself, but also, uh, if you've seen the movie Beetlejuice. Yeah. There, there's the part where they're trying to like where they're trying to like purposefully disfigure themselves to kind of learn like like hey let's yeah. try this to scare the people and yeah. go through yeah and i i kind of saw even though it's like a mushroom cloud i kind of saw it more as like kind of resembling that okay. and i i just kind of quickly put it together those are my eyes and the thing i just you know drew kind of masked out the face and put it against that celestial backdrop and when i was done with it i'm like eh, you know, i'll throw it up i really didn't expect people to think much of that picture and that that, that happens sometimes you know i'm sure yeah you, i'm sure I, you know you understand like it, you write something yeah i think my it's always the the only photo that comes to mind is uh is actually like the first photo that got people saying i was a photographer but not even like a professional one just like a photographer Mm-hmm. Um, and that was always like like an image I got look back now and be like, oh my god, like I could have done so many things to improve that photo, and I did go back and redo it, but um, because it was that photo specifically, I've always held it uh, close. But at the same time, it's like I was like, this is like this super noisy. It, it was an astrophotography photo, and it was like super noisy and everything. I was like, wait, but I mean. Yeah, a lot of people liked it. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's strange to see, like, what stuff people latch onto. Like, sometimes I'll put, like, hours into something and people won't really fuck with it. And then the thing that just kind of came on a whim, that's right. the thing that makes me, that's the thing that makes me money. And I'm like, that's, it's so weird, but uh, I don't, I'm not opposed to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all welcome. <laughs> My personal favorite of the new selection is the King of Nothing want to elaborate on the meaning behind it it seems relatable to the photo this is the way with the red door oh yeah oh man this is the way that's we're talking about some some stuff from a while ago you've done your homework (laughs) i appreciate that um the this is the way thing uh basically this is the way it kind of led into the king of nothing because i had this ceramic skull and um this is like the height of the mixed media bullshit of me trying to like figure this out and kind of like working with objects as opposed to people. I was trying with, this is the way I was trying to create something that was kind of akin to like a horror 
movie done with miniatures if that makes any sense mm-hmm. like it's an actual yeah. it's an actual it's an actual miniature door like everything was practical and i wanted to like how tim burton does a lot of his yeah. stop animation stuff i was kind of influenced by that and then after i did that piece i kind of had the effect like what you talked about i look back on it i'm like i don't know why people like this the skull is out of frame a little bit it's kind of awkward the door um but I, so I started kind of thinking about ways I could use the skull to tell a story. And uh, I had, had the idea to do this self-portrait where I wrapped my face in barbed wire. And when I had the skull kind of just laying there, you know, beat the shit from all the weeks of me photographing it, lighting it on fire and various things, I said to myself, well, this would kind of be like an interesting companion to that, like to have like maybe and it just came to me it came to me the title first like the king of nothing and i kind of saw that as like a metaphor for my father and then from the king of nothing you have the prince of nothing so when i did Mm -hmm. the king of nothing piece i set up this uh this is one of the beautiful things about working in catering i know how to make a nice little banquet table so i put (laughs) yeah so i put like a little uh little platform down and i wrapped the sheets in a way where it kind of would look like a banquet table and then i placed the uh it was like a thing of dead roses wilted roses thorns and i placed the um crown with the barbed wire on top of all that so that was all a practical photo and then later on i did the i think it was later on that night even i did the the self-portrait with me and the connection there was supposed to be this idea of like when you lose your father at a young age it casts this shadow and the crown is kind of the symbol of that shadow and that's why it was important to me that rather it be something literal, it be something like painful and like uh, constrictive. Um, some people have likened it to like a, a Jesus type thing. I'm, I'm Jewish, so that was like not intentional whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's basically a story about father and son and how, you know, the, the expectation, the shadow cast after losing like something so someone so important to your life like that, like what that does to a person. So that was kind yeah. of the story behind that. Okay. Well, I guess that leads up really well into waking up at McDonald's after talking back to my father. (laughs) Seems to consist of a Marvel statue bust and a self-portrait reflective of an underlying story, That, but obviously... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, people in the 90s used to hit their kids, what can I say? So it was... uh... I I grew up in a very rough neighborhood with with a very rough... uh father who i'd say like an irish james gandolfini if you're looking for kind of a a visualization there and uh when i was disrespectful when i was like you know there was almost a joke we would have amongst our friends you know you catch a backhand and then you'd wake up in mcdonald's with a happy meal in front of you like you know please don't call c (laughs) please don't call cps um the marble statue though uh was something that i photographed like months prior uh, not even months, maybe like years prior, I'd, I'd go to the Met like all the time during the day. I'd put on like some some music and I just kind of walk around photographing the statues. And that was the way that I practiced for a long time prior to, um, you know, when I couldn't find people to work with or when I wasn't working with that many people, I would just go to the, the Met and practice. And that picture i mean um (laughs) just the idea of like this kind of limbless body that looks like it's been torn to shreds and then my face just kind of like you know dazed and confused kind of like symbolized that moment to me in a in like a a visual way that i thought was cooler than just the story itself um and i thought people would appreciate the title so 
that yeah. that was kind of how that came about. My dad was also very influential in in making sure that when I was young, I got exposed to things like museums and like statues and stuff. And he'd be like, "Ah, it's the fucking Roman emperor, you know." <laughs> you know, like he would tell me stuff like that. So yeah, um, uh, th- I feel like uh, there's a lot of like little backstories and things and in, in the stuff I do that I don't really make apparent. You yeah. Know? So I appreciate you asking. Yeah, of course. Um. And then, uh, can you tell me about who is Jojo the Club Kid? Jojo the Club Kid. Oh, yeah, man. Um, so I was back in the day when I was doing uh, portraits, my kind of MO would be to wake up real early in the morning, shower, grab my gear, and head down to Washington Square Park. And the reason I did that was because you would have this kind of conglomeration of tattooed punks like people with crazy fashion um you know and like just all kinds of different people skaters hustlers whatever you want they're all kind of like in this park within this ecosystem um and i would just kind of walk around and like talk to people find out what their story was like oh yeah you struggling to survive in the city yeah me too i'm bruce how you doing like it was kind of that thing for a while but one day i was walking down the park to kind of go about this process and I uh, stumbled upon like a trans rights march mm-hmm. that I, I had no idea was happening. And so people were like, if they were loud the day before, they were like 15 times louder that day. And uh, Jojo was there kind of like voguing a little bit. And there were other photographers that were going around, you know, these people and photographing them like paparazzi, like the people that really had the out there vibes and the, and the eccentricity going on. And I remember walking up to him or I, I, I don't want to, you know, say him. I don't know what they go by. But yeah. I remember walking up to Jojo and just being like, listen, I promise you I'll do a better job than all five of these motherfuckers right here. <laughs> I, I think... I think we took that pick in literally two two minutes. Like we took a series of them, and I sent them all to him later. Uh, there was also a, a, a drag performer by the name of Shaka that I met that day, who ended up being a part of like like in my opinion one of my best photo shoots. Oh, so that hey. that was a really good day. That that sounds like a cool day. And having it be one of your best photo shoots, do you think that goes in line with how you expected? it to be did expectation like if you know what i mean um yeah i i always found that like you can tell when you're gonna have a lot of really like when you're gonna have a good time working with someone like right from Mm -hmm. when you meet them um shaka was just so nice so kind they were also kind of being crowded by a bunch of different cameras taking pictures and everything and uh I remember when we linked up the second time, I had a makeup artist uh, from Brazil come along with us and we did kind of like a drag look. And then we also did this just insane like bondage mask with fucking 10 inch like platform shoes. And Shaka's really tall already. Yeah, Shaka is okay. really tall, like probably like six three, six four to begin with. Damn. So I've got this, I've got this fucking six foot ten drag queen <laughs> here, just walking around the city, and it, it was Damn. like one of my favorite shoes. Power. We just had a, yeah, we had a ton of fun, and it was freezing fucking cold outside, but we made it work. Oh so, so, but to answer your question, I think you can pretty much tell like right away when you're gonna have a lot of good chemistry with somebody, you know, um, especially in an art form that's reliant on someone giving you their energy giving you their essence like it's important to have that you know yeah 
Um, yeah, do you find it a lot more easier to communicate with people on the street than you did when you first started? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in the past, if I saw someone that I thought could I could make like a really cool piece with um, in terms of like a portrait or whatever, I would almost be apprehensive because there's that social anxiety. And I'm a very like introverted person. Like this is not like just because I do it doesn't mean it's my personality. Yeah. Um, it was kind of like a means to an end thing. I knew that walking up and talking to people would have to become a part of this. Like I'm in New York. I have all these people around me to collaborate with. It'd be yeah. like ridiculous not to. Um, so I kind of like kept testing myself until I got to a point where I could do it without really any reservations. And now like I'm, I'm in a situation like, for example, downtown here, like a few months back, I remember seeing a guy with like, just his hands completely covered his hands said lost on them and then he had like stars mm -hmm. going down his face and all this shit and he was on the phone and i'm like you know what I'm i know exactly who you're talking about yeah. <laughs> he took a photo I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna sit by this month thank you i appreciate yeah. that i remember seeing that guy and thinking you know he's on a phone so i'm gonna sit on this bench not too far from him not at all creepy and i'm gonna wait until he's off the phone and then i'm gonna approach him because I'm taking a picture of this motherfucker, no matter what. Like that became yeah. kind of like my mentality after a while. Um, but I always, I also always gave people um, the option, which I think was it. And I never walked up to someone who was just like, "Hey, can I take your picture?" Like very rarely would I do that. I would always try to find like make it clear to them like what it is about them that I find interesting to begin with. Like, oh, dude, I love your work. Who did your hands? Or uh, yeah. sometimes, you know, people would walk out with like crazy colorful hair and coats and be like oh i really fuck with your look like do, do you ever model like i would start i would start it more like that to kind of like build a rapport with someone rather than uh make it seem like they were just like getting used i guess yeah yeah i can't i'm kind of with that because i mean in terms of being in personally like being in a city that's not as populated as new york where like for instance, like LA, you drive places, but you could drive to like more crowded areas, obviously. But um, being in like a city where it's more like of a casual beach walk or something, like those are your mm. people. So, do you do the street photographer approach of like just like in the wild kind of subjects, or is it more that personable uh, effect that may be more easily, I don't want to say easily approached in New York? But I think it's just maybe more common of an instance that you might have an interaction with a stranger in New York. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, so so what, what you're kind of saying is like uh, in L.A., it's more of like you might see two people like doing something scenic on a beach with all this shit behind. You yeah. Kind of do like a little capture as opposed to like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think part of it, like when it comes to that stuff, I've I've seen people have like really bad reactions to getting their photo taken oh yeah without them knowing it i've also been one of those people who has had a bad reaction towards someone that's like because and and you know this is the thing about photography and i'm not trying to you know be a dick about this but there are a lot of people out there that are kind of sleazy and they have cameras and mm -hmm. they're going out just you know photographing all these people and you know a lot of people are not really totally uh, okay with that yeah. i i I also thought about it in the sense of like, um, if I photograph these two people, right, and this picture blows up, I, I don't own this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
because yeah. it, it kind of, yeah, I kind of thought about it from a pragmatic sense as well. It's like, you know, I can, and there have been times when like, it's like, okay, this, this cop is arresting a guy who literally is wearing a horse mask. I mean, how, how can I not like take, yeah. take a picture, take a picture of this? You know, we all take out our phones yeah. and, uh, and snap photos of stuff we see. Um, I just think with me also, like I've had instances where I have not been attempting to photograph somebody, but someone's walked past me and said some shit like, you better not fucking take a picture of me, blah, blah, blah. Uh -huh. Uh, so that kind of animosity and everything, I just kind of thought about it and it combined with the pragmatic sense of like, you know, I'm looking to to work with people and then have them post the picture on their page and like, you right. know, kind of do this like a word of mouth marketing yeah. thing. And with stuff you don't own, it becomes really harder to do that um, yeah. because I, I don't know if a lot of photographers know this, but you only own the photo if the person agreed to let you take it. Um, you do not own a picture of somebody if they were photographed unknowingly. So it, it was like, even though you know, legal shit like that never really comes up, I always thought like, I want to do this as ethically as I can when it comes yeah. to, you know, working with people. And I also wanted to build relationships. I didn't want to just, you know, go out there and like photograph a bunch of random people. I wanted to kind of like get to know what the story was behind them. And it's like explaining to you now, like you asked me, how did the thing with Jojo come about? I can tell you that story because me and Jojo right. like had a conversation. Um, if, and, and also with street photography, um, I'm not very good at it. Like the whole thing of like, Oh, the light is casting a beautiful shadow over <laughs> here. And these people are, but I'm not good at that type of stuff. Like yeah, I have I mean. to be, I have to be able to convey what I want to the person that is in yeah. front of that is like in front of the camera. So, uh, I guess a shitload of reasons why I did it like that. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to hate on somebody if that's what they do. If, as long as it's not like kind of some crazy privacy yeah. type deal, you know? Yeah. The, oh, now even, yeah, I was going to say, I, I can think of like one Matt. Oh yeah. Actually I forgot about, uh, Richard Prince's work that went viral because he had an Instagram gallery or a gallery of people's Instagram photos without their permission. Yeah. You you hear all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff about like, you know, a guy uh, meets a model, doesn't tell her what the fuck the photos are going to be used for. And then they're in a book the next week with like all this other like sleazy shit. It's like, I don't know. I've, I've, I've met a lot of those photographers. I don't particularly enjoy them. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I saw you have a couple portraits titled Vogue and Chanel. Is it to mimic their style to prove like the technical ability or is it work you'd be like interested in shooting? I feel like it'd be an interesting contrast to your street portraits considering Vogue has more of like a suit and tie style of a shoot. I, I think when I reference, uh, it's it's not referencing the magazine. When I, when I reference Vogue, it's more of like coming from a cultural like Paris is burning type vibe. Oh, okay. And I'm mostly referring to the dance and the... Okay. Um, I've always been obsessed with that style of dancing and uh, just kind of like street dance in general and like the underground ball scene from the 80s. I feel like yeah. these are things that are that are extremely tied to New York culture. And, um, you know, that that's something that I'm very big on capturing with the Chanel picture. I think it was because uh, Bobby was wearing a Chanel chain. <laughs> And and there was a period of time where I wanted to show people like I had this dumbass perception in my head. I'm like, 
I can shoot fashion stuff. I can shoot anything. I can shoot right? high fashion. I can shoot, you know, the Diane Arbus looking stuff. So um, it wasn't so much to evoke the magazine, but more so like the dance and the uh, the chain that Bobby was wearing. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea that Vogue was the title of what you would call street dancing as well. That's, or is that a little I bit mean, more elaborate? I, yeah, I think like uh, like voguing is something that I, maybe uh, maybe voguing uh, English. Maybe I'm having a hard time putting it into words, but I would always associate it with like kind of an outsider dance, like something that you know people would get together and they would hold the private balls in the '80s up in Harlem and stuff. And um, one of the things like Paris is Burning was a huge influence on me because. Uh, it's essentially the stories of these people that were like, the world is not going to let us be stars. So we're going to make our own stardom and we're going to make our own kind of lane. Um, And that's been pretty much my ethos ever since I started this. So a lot of like the street performers, like even, even the Showtime dancers, I don't know if you're familiar with that out in Los Angeles, but the kids that um, come and they dance in the trains and they do these crazy acrobatics and everything, like any type of like hustle, street dance, street performing, busking. I've always had like uh, an adoration for the people that do that type of stuff, because the way I see it, they're doing exactly what I'm doing. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to get their their message out there. Whatever art they create, they want people to see it. Um, and voguing is something that I don't know if necessarily everyone would know what that is if they saw it. So oh, okay. to kind of feature and Jojo, uh, the club kid, is is a is a voguer. Like he's he's yeah. incredible at it, you know. Uh, and so when I when I'd meet somebody and they tell me, oh, I could do a deaf drop, I could do this, I'd be like, let's photograph that. That, right. that to me, is, like, real interesting. That's pretty cool. I would probably do the same, honestly. <laughs> a hustle here, a hustle there. New York is a city. <laughs> Being a native New Yorker, has the hustle become slightly stagnant with COVID, or do you think you're pushing just as hard as you were before? I'm definitely not pushing as hard, because when I was doing this in New York City without any restrictions, it was like... You know, you got to find the next photo shoot, uh, photo shoot rather, to pay your rent. You got to find the next client. You're always kind of looking for like the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's it's more kind of like this isolated time alone with uh, just creative thoughts and stuff, and and seeing like what I can come up with. And I feel like that leads to a lot of like innovative things because I didn't think like, oh, let's print shit on metal. Let's do chemical burns. Let's do that. But when you're kind of alone with yourself and your time and uh, I've been able to work remotely in the sense that, you know, people hit me up, they like a design, I ship it to them. Or if they need a commission for like, you know, an office or whatever the fuck or their band, I could just do it here. Um, I don't have to go out and like seek out those gigs anymore. Um, But I also feel like it does, it does kind of lead to a sense of, uh, not stagnation, but there's days when I'm like, I didn't do enough. I could have, yeah. I, I could have gone out and like put up flyers or that. Mm-hmm. But those are the types of things I, I would do, and still do sometimes. But I think with the state of the world, maybe maybe you can like let me know yeah. how you feel about this. It, it's kind of difficult to like really be like, man, I'm gonna get up and get after yeah, it every day. Um, but I, I try to make it at least like every other day. And uh, the things that I'm doing now here are things I never would have gotten to do in New York. So I'm very appreciative yeah. for that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely can relate to that. <laughs> I think with the state of everything, it's more just like on a standstill and like 
you're kind of just going through it until it's all kind of resolved. Um, but I mean, yeah, if I if I have the energy to put in, like I'll put it in. If I don't, then I'm burnt down. I can't do anything, anything <laughs> or anyway. <laughs> Did you ever watch uh, Dragon Ball Z when you were young? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> but oh. I do. I am familiar with it. Yes. It's almost like uh, for artists, I guess, right now, you're going into like the hyperbolic time chamber where you're going to come out like much fucking stronger and much more defined than what you do. But Mm -hmm. for now, it just feels like you're laying around inside, you know? Yeah. Um, So the the Queen is Dead Boys collab with Eden, a.k.a. Flower Bones, has collaboration sparked a lot more now that you're hanging out uh, in Colorado? um that that was remote um so yeah it it has because now it's like you know i've got people from new york that are like where the fuck are you i'd love to do something and it's right. like, oh, you know so that element's kind of gone so um like i said with the uh uh the the benny Schilling piece where we kind of collab together eden was someone that i'd followed for a while you know um and i knew that they were living in europe and i thought to myself you know that the, the look again like I, I see these people with these aesthetics and i'm like if i if i saw eden walking down the street i probably would have been up and be like hey i really like your look and everything kind of reminds me of like you know glam or david bowie or something or like mm-hmm. early roxy music you mind if i you know take a picture um but without the ability to do that it was kind of cool to be like hey you know i think i can make something really cool out of uh one of these selfies you took recently that whole yeah. piece was was built actually on like a you know a 400 kilobyte cell phone so oh, dang yeah and okay. uh, i actually actually like have it right here i think and you can see right there yeah i can so that that picture was really fun to make because when i started doing it um at first i just kind of took eden's like natural vibe and made it more a, l- a little black and white a little edgier uh but then i got this idea of like to take the eyes wide shut mask sorry mm. about that um, because the, the, the way their, their hair kind of laid, it kind of had that resemble of like a really large feather boa. So I'm like, let me just try to throw some eyes wide shut on this. And, uh, I also collaborated with another photographer in a similar way, um, named Quinn. It was actually from New York. I just haven't posted that one yet, but I'd, I'd say that since coming here, like I have been able to do a lot, a few of these remote collaborations. Um, but my primary focus is kind of just making stuff like independently. So I, I maybe do like one of those a month now. I'm curious to see what the next one's going to look like. I just, I'm just keep looking at it because it's in frame. <laughs> um, but how does it feel having an in-home gallery of all your prints on the wall? Uh, it's kind of cool. And it's also like annoying at the same time because it's like this albatross of a burden every time I come in here and I look at this stuff, I'm just like, this stuff's got to go. This stuff has to move and sell. Uh, Cause that was always the intention. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of ended up turning into like a personal like thing for me, like a, like a little part of the house where I just go and I kind of think about new ideas. I think it helps uh, uh, and just in general to see uh, when you make art, to see your stuff hung up, like mm-hmm. does something for you psychologically. I think that's really beneficial because um, I'm not able to visualize something unless I can see it. You know what yeah. I mean? And I, I couldn't like conceive of me being in a gallery until I kind of did my own and saw like what it would look like to see my shit hung up. 
Um, yeah. And, and it's actually funny because about, uh, about a third of this stuff is going to go into uh, the Cowan Gallery in Denver. Oh. We're actually, I'm going to set up the installation tomorrow. So we're going to oh, be damn. doing that. So it'll actually be much more barren the next time you see oh, it. Oh, damn. Okay. So anyone who's in Colorado, go check out Bruce's gallery. <laughs> yeah. um, the swirl face with blood smeared on your cheek and then manipulated to abstraction. You reminisced on childhood dreams of being at a carnival with tattooed or quote unquote tattooed freaks, two headed animals and demons with eyes in their mouth. So that then infers that your style was embodied throughout your fantasies ever since you were a kid then. Yeah, the the things that you see me kind of creating, if you if you read my writing when I was younger, mm -hmm. definitely these things came up. Um, uh, just the, the carnivals, uh, freaks, kind of sideshow stuff has always been just a big part of like my, uh, I, I guess it's my aesthetic interest, uh, mm -hmm. like the old school kind of Coney Island vibe. Um, and I read a lot about like, uh, like traveling sideshows and how they kind of evolved over the years. So that kind of like dark, um, fantastical style, maybe boardwalk empire style has kind of always been a part of like what I do in some sense, at least from a, from a fascination perspective. Um, with that piece in general, I was actually kind of going for, uh, there's this band called dead can dance. And they have this uh, song called The Carnival is Over. And they're, they're like a 90s kind of like a uh, goth classical type vibe. And in that uh, music video, they have a lot of like kind of fantastical imagery by this. Uh, I think he's like an Eastern European, like Russian director. And a lot of those images always kind of stuck with me, like the kind of like surrealist um, kind of monsters and stuff like that. So when I when it's not it's not always there I think like some of the stuff I make kind of doesn't go in that direction can be a little bit more blissful yeah. but I mean I've got a theater stage tattooed on my arm and like I'm very into like that kind of stuff okay yeah uh, I can definitely see kind of there being like multiple categories of styles in which you go <laughs> deciding on which direction each piece is going to go into because yeah yeah with like um like you even have like some food shots or like the basketball court shot um where that could technically be like more of like a street scene and then you also have your street portraits and then um yeah and, and then now you're mixed media as well and collages and um yeah it's just interesting to see kind of how they all blend together thank you um well, I guess this is more of a question of curiosity, but how does self-portraiture fit into the world of commercial art? And is there a way to go beyond abstract prints for that to work? Um, I mean, you know, if somebody wants to buy a, a, a picture of you, I, I, you know, <laughs> we've, uh, Instagram has kind of, and, and other things have kind of cultivated this, this culture around things like OnlyFans and stuff like that, where people True. are, you know, people are making content out of themselves um, I always kind of had a problem with my face being depicted in like, uh, like, like I, I, I had like a, maybe like a one month stint where I tried modeling out like when I was much younger and I never really enjoyed being portrayed that way. So for me, in order to like sell like an abstract or something, um, or rather to sell a print of me when it comes to like a self-portrait, I kind of have to do that. Yeah. Um, 
I also would kind of almost question somebody who would just want like a really straight laced photo of my face. Um, <laughs> Very uh, valid. I think self-portraits are important also because like uh, a lot of times they're used as practice, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I, yeah. I definitely have some that, you know, for like the sake of marketing the clothes and whatever, it's like they're not meant to really be art pieces. They're meant to be more like uh, like a Levi's ad or something, mm-hmm. you know. So I guess it really depends uh, if, if, if someone has the uh, the inkling and the, the chutzpah to go and make an OnlyFans and sell photos of themselves, you know, that's sure. cool of me. Not my thing, hey. but <laughs> yeah, taste their own. Cool. Um, so it's tossed around every day in a conversation. Do you believe a certain aesthetic or cohesive style is mandatory to achieve like modern day success, or does it just come easier that way through specialization? Uh, so what you're referring to is like people that specialize in like maybe very commercial looking shots, people that specialize in like uh, maybe what would be the word? black and white yeah just in terms of like specialization versus spreading yourself out putting eggs in multiple baskets and genres that you are sufficient in so i i think that um doing a lot of things uh can be a gift and a curse in a certain sense because like for example when i did all black and white pictures i had a large amount of people who assumed that i couldn't do anything else and uh so then i kind of started slowly interjecting color into it i think the problem with being so niche and like stubbornly niche is that you may shut yourself off from other things Mm -hmm. and other possibilities uh like i can remember i think it was someone asking me (laughs) asking me if i had done ever done anything with like uh and i'm I'm using this as an extreme example if i've had ever done anything with like uh fetish or like leather like real leather clad spike stuff i'm like i mean some of the people i photograph on the street wear it but like you know i could definitely do it um you you gotta you gotta appeal not to in in what i've learned about marketing and everything through doing this is that you have to have some things that can appeal to everybody so that you can have the things that appeal just to a specific subset of people. Yeah. Um, like for for when it comes to the the self portraits I do, like some people might see the barbed wire thing and just be like, oh, I don't know about that. But then if they saw the purple back uh, backdrop graduate self portrait, the one yeah. with the mushroom cloud, you know that that might you know appeal to them a little bit more. So I think uh, it's it's important to kind of have a balance, but it really depends also. Because I know some people that they only do one thing and they're the best at that one thing. Um, But with me, it's like I tried to be like all black and white for so long and people kind of forced my hand at doing color and then that led to other things. And then the next thing I knew, I was doing landscapes for people. So um, I think it's good. I think it's good to be versatile. I think it's good to have like multiple styles that you can that you can pull from because, uh, you know, it's 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 strange, but someone might come across my shit and want something like incredibly punk and kind of like uh gritty but then might also see a someone else might just see the flowers you know so that's that and that's actually kind of funny to think about because the stuff that um i think appealed to the gallery owner of the place that i'm going to be in denver they were more attracted to the flowers and kind of like the uh kind of colorful blissful stuff than they were the gritty stuff so 
I can only say for me personally that I, I've had to kind of like almost out of necessity kind of go out into different things. Um, I also think it's important for photographers specifically because a lot of times if you only do headshots, you're missing out on money that you could get from shooting restaurant menus. You're missing out on money you could get from product shots in general or just like, you know, other stuff. So uh, you know, maybe if, if you're, if you have a definitive style and you don't want to stray away from that, at least maybe sometimes, uh, lean off a little bit is yeah. what I would recommend to people. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been, yeah, I've always just been curious cause I'm in the same boat of like, I prefer to spread my, like, I, I don't even like to just say like spread myself thin because I feel like you can obtain proficiency if not uh, close to mastery and all and all of those subjects with the same abilities, you know. Um, so I I've seen people shoot in all categories and then thread their work through like color styles, like color grading. Um, so I thought maybe that would be like the way to blend both, but I don't know. Or I feel like everything has a different style sometimes as well, though. Yeah, and the. Uh... I don't know. I feel like at this point I'm like a yellow pages. <laughs> I, I got a little bit of everything. I think what's interesting is that I could see you falling under like the native New York photographer kind of idea with the portfolio that you have. Cause uh, with the people you chose to photograph and how the locations have sparked an inspiration into your mixed media work and self portraits. How do you think New York itself has shaped your perspective as a photographer? Um, <clears throat> New York has shaped everything. I mean, I I don't have any knowledge of any other place. I, uh, well, you know, I've I've traveled a little bit and everything, but it's like you spend 26 years, 25 years in the Bronx or whatever. Like, you know, first in Co-op City, then in Mount Vernon for a little while. Um, that is like me. You know, that is, uh, I am kind of that city. And even when I come out here, could live in a different place, whatever, I kind of still have the uh, the tonal qualities of that city, so to speak. But mm -hmm. also just um, just the things I remember, you know, like I remember uh, walking through Spanish Harlem when I was a kid with my dad and seeing kind of like the way the light hit the bricks and that gold color, that gold hue that combines with the pollution in this very specific way. Mm -hmm. um, I know what it's like to get yelled at by random strangers on the street and yell at random strangers on the street. You know, the gritty things we did when we were young, when we were like maybe stealing or whatever to get by, like that type of stuff is kind of like always there. And um, in particular for me, like when I think about my family and I think about my childhood and all that, um, you know, getting on the subway for the first time, going to school two hours away when I was like fucking 14, that type of stuff, uh, I think it's cool that not only am I able to capture it like kind of like visually, but also like spiritually in a sense, like the spirit of New York City and kind of like how New York feels. Um, one of my favorite pieces that, I, that I've made is called Subway X and it mm. depicts kind of what I consider to be the clusterfuck of new york itself with the subway you have the people that are riding it you know and i and i have like some old school archival um what do you call it archival photos like blended in with that picture of like people riding the train in the 70s and the 80s mm -hmm. um 
and you've got kind of like this man sitting down on his luck in front of a sign that says life is Gucci. I mean, I was original. I didn't change that at all. And then this fucking train is coming. It's heading right for him. Um, that's a feeling of like anxiety of hypervigilance of like the need to like go hard all the time for lack of a better term. Um, that's something that, that I've only found in New York. And, uh, you know, maybe it also exists. I, I'm sure L.A. has its own version. Chicago has its own version. But I think like that voice is something that um, is very like unique. And I, I've i always wanted to be kind of like a New York artist. Like I've always wanted to be like a Diane Arbus, like a Robert Maplethorpe, someone whose work that you specifically look at and identify mm -hmm. with the city. Um, I hope that answers your question. I don't know. I feel no, like it does. No, it's good. Um... Yeah, no, I can. I mean, obviously, loving Robert Mapplethorpe, I, um, I get what you mean when you say that you look at a New York photographer and you know it's a New York photographer. <laughs> right, yeah, like there, yeah. there's like a a darkness. I mean, a lot of photographers avoid using film grain and like they don't want noisy images. I want some of my images to have as much noise as the city behind mm -hmm. it. You know, like um. And that's kind of like a little meta thing. I don't that know if anybody, sense. if anybody picks up on that, but hey, you know. I, I like it. That's good. That is good meta Thank thing. You. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, you also do a lot of impressions <laughs> and cater to the reason behind your great Adam Sandler uncut gems, <laughs> uncut gems impression, to because of your Jewishness. <laughs> do you have a favorite person to impersonate? And his impersonations or voice acting you would do in addition to photography. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, the, the the uncut gems thing. Uh, just to get explain about that, if you're Jewish and you either know anyone from Long Island or you live on Long Island or you were raised around Jewish culture, you know people like that. And I think like that's one of the beautiful things about the Safdie brothers is they really like reflect the city in a way that is just 100% authentic. Um, in terms of my favorite person to imitate, it'd have to be my father. I mean, that, that comes from me kind of, uh, the impressions and everything kind of comes from me taking the piss out of him when I was younger and like mm -hmm. being a smart ass. Um, there was a time when I figured, uh, not figured, but there was a time when I thought uh, that I was going to go into acting when I was younger and uh, kind of with more of like a TV film kind of idea. Uh, but it's not something I really want anymore. Um, I've had people tell me that I could probably make it. With, first of all, I've tattooed myself out of any role ever. So we're <laughs> out of that. But then, uh, you know, that's what we got CGI for. It's okay. And, <laughs> no, no, no. If, if, if it's between we need CGI and makeup to cover all this shit or we could just find an actor without tattoos, I think they'll they'll probably want just something okay. there. Um, also, I probably say too much shit. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, to answer your question, yeah, people people have asked me about voice acting and stuff. I, I, if someone were to give me the opportunity, I wouldn't be against it, but it's not something I'd seek out, no. Okay. Well, maybe it can uh, be in your show talking shit with Bruce. And how is it going? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's, uh, yeah, talking talk shit with Bruce kind of came about as a way of, like, uh, me just having fun with some people that I know that, um, you know, kind of doing what you're doing. I'm, I, I want to talk to them about what makes them kind of tick as an artist. Some of them are an artist, they're just friends yeah. of mine. And, uh, you know, we just kind of smoke a little weed and we talk kind of like how we're doing now. And 
down. Come to come to different conclusions about things. Uh, I I thought also like I do a lot of self promotion. I do a lot of like buy my shirt, buy my shirt, buy my fucking hoodie. Like I do a lot of that. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of have a balance of like, well, here's something where it's not about me at all. And mm-hmm. you could just learn about maybe a cool artist that you didn't know about. Or um, like I thought me and Caitlin recently had a really great episode. And uh, I think the the cool thing about podcasts like this is like this one and, and the one that I do is that, um, you. you know, this is a time when people aren't able to like really hang out. Yeah. So this is kind of a way of people hanging out. And yeah. I think it encourages like other people to do the same. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm with it. That's why I wanted to get back into this as soon as possible. I was like, <laughs> it's like time ran up, life ran up on me. So I'm glad we are here. <laughs> Likewise. Um, is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, that was all the questions I did have. But you're more than open to take the stage. <laughs> yeah, do my little do, do my little foxtrot and tango here. No, I just want to thank you, man. Thanks for uh-huh. uh, you know having me on. I've I really liked your stuff for a long time. Oh well, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate you doing this. And uh, if you want to check out my Instagram, it's Bruce Michael Photo, uh, BruceMichael.org for the uh, website. All one word. I do some stuff. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll be like, who the fuck is this kid? But if you check <laughs> it out for a second, I'd appreciate it. Uh, people in Colorado, I got the gallery exhibit coming up at Cowan Gallery in Westminster, which is really exciting. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Just, you know, getting by day by day, trying to make cool shit and hoping people enjoy it. Will people be seeing you in New York after this is over or in Colorado? Um. I would love to be able to go back home in a work capacity, um, but I'm not fucking with planes. I, I can't. I like coming down here was like stressful enough, you know. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, and it was kind of like okay, wandering through New York back, like doing the whole back and forth thing was like really annoying. Um, I would love to just get to a point where it's just my shit is just on there. And it's like, if you're in New York, if you're in Colorado, if you're in the Bermuda Triangle, you can find my stuff. I think that's, that's the one good thing about all this is people are realizing like how much they can do from, from home. Um, But yeah, I I would love to come back to, to Cal, uh, not, I was about to say California. I would love to come (laughs) back to, to New York at some point. I was going to say, if if I'm ever in, you know, California, you could show me around Skid Row sometime. Mm. We'll take some street pictures. How about that? <laughs> um, I know how to provide Uber services. <laughs> you could you could drive me there and wait in the corner, and I'll do my thing and then walk back. You know, I have a mob chasing me with Lynch. Uh, oh, okay. fucking, uh, you know, right. Well, at least we're going out with a bang, literally. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, it was nice talking shit with Bruce. <laughs> Well, this is your deal, man. This is your vibe. <laughs> oh, also, I told I. <laughs> of course, I forget. <laughs> Last question is: Do you like ice cream? And if so, what flavor is your favorite? <laughs> oh man, uh, I'm gonna go cookies and cream. Okay. Cookies Classic. and cream. Yeah. All right. I'm with it. What about you? Um, mine is honey lavender from Salt and Straw. <laughs> I, I've never heard of that, but it looks looks to me like you might go down a carton of it after this. Oh, I I wish I wish it was near me. I mean, it is technically uh, outside of LA. There is a location, uh, but they are based in Oregon. 
But sure. yeah, I'll, I'll have to try that sometime. Hell yeah! All right. Well, I will definitely be seeing you around as usual. <laughs> yeah, dude. Thank you very yeah. much. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed. This episode is sponsored by Buzzsprout, where you can host all of your podcast needs. If you want to use an RSS feed and send it out to multiple platforms like Apple Music and Spotify, feel free to do so. And also, uh, just a note to any of the listeners, I'm thinking of doing like merch. Uh, and so if you guys have any design ideas or anything, let me know. Uh, feel free to just DM me on Instagram on D like ice cream or Dune Stewart. Uh, I run both accounts um, or email me at DuneStewart at gmail.com. And uh, I would appreciate any uh, designs you guys got for me. And uh, also, may think about also uploading a video style to YouTube as well. So if that sounds interesting to anyone, let me know. But uh, thanks for listening as usual. And uh, I'll be right back with our next guest very shortly. <laughs>